Well, welcome to uh, to Memphis, everybody. My name's Jake. Um, I'm glad that you guys are here with us as we continue on the series of what it means that Jesus entered into the world in flesh. The fact that he dwelt among us and his people. And for us today, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 9. So if you would, flip in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, where we're going to be uncovering this topic of life as a disciple. And we think of disciple, and we think of, man, that's, that's something that I've been doing. Maybe you've been in church a while and you understand that term. Maybe for some of you, this is a new term. But I want us to really intentionally look at the command that Jesus gives us to live as a disciple and what this really looks like. And up to this point, Jesus has amassed a lot of different followers and crowds of people who have come to watch him and his miracles and all the things that he's done up until that point with all the healings, healing the blind and the lame and people of leprosy. The fact that he was calming storms and raising dead people back to life. And now he's just gotten done feeding over 5,000 people with a couple of loaves and a few fish. And this is where we see him pull his disciples away from the crowd. After this miracle has been completed, he decides to pull his guys away from the masses. And this is where we see him address the most important question we could ever ask within our lives. Within verse 18, we're going to start... And then we're going to finish at verse 27 here. Follow along with me. It says, Once when Jesus was praying in private, his disciples were with him. He asked, Who do the crowds say that I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets from long ago has come back to life. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. He says this because it's not his time to die yet. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. And I want us to lean in on verse 23 here and what it says. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up the cross daily, and follow me. Because whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Now, I'll ask the room here, has anybody ever been in surgery or had a family member in surgery before? It's okay to raise your hands. You can do that in here. Now, here's a scenario. Say that you or a family member needed a surgery to be okay, like you needed that. You needed to be under the knife, and you get wheeled into the hospital. Um, You're on the gurney. You go into the operating room. You open the doors. You flick open um, the lights, and next to the operating table, You see me standing there with a scalpel in hand, ready to perform the surgery. What's your first move? If you're you're seeing me right here, like I'm ready to go, I'm fired up, I'm like, we can do this, we just do this together, we got it here. I would hope that your first move was like, "Ah, I think think I'm good, man. I think I'm okay, I, I think I'm gonna find somebody else, go to a different room. But what if you go into the room and you see these guys, this crew of people, and you're like, okay, what happens then? You would trust them, right? You would probably go through and perform the surgery. Why? Because they're more qualified than me. They look, they look trustworthy. They got 30 plus years on them. They look like they know what they're doing. Me, not so much. And here's the reality for us. 
man, this, the decision to go through surgery is completely predicated on if you're able to trust the person to do it. You can't trust me to do it. I'm not the guy. Even though I might look like the guy, I'm not that guy. Because I can't. You can't just claim for me to be a doctor and it be true. You can either acknowledge the title that the doctor has and base your decision to get surgery on this understanding. Like, this is what it is. And there's a reason I can't operate on people. And I would assume most of you guys are not qualified to operate on anybody. I would think that was the truth. There's a reason. There's an extensive process to be able to get uh, to this point to be a surgeon. The fact is, I, I know a couple of people who have wanted to go on this journey to become a doctor or a surgeon, and they realize that, man, that is a long time down the road. That is a lot of schooling and education and tests that I am just not wanting to do. And it's true because first, you got to get a four-year degree. You have to pass the MCAT in order to get into med school. After you finish med school after four years, you got to pass the, uh, the MLE, the medical license exam. And then after three to seven years of residency and fellowship, where you're literally just walking around following the person of your specialty and just watching their every move, watching what they're doing, studying after their habits and how they perform, how they perform under pressure, how they communicate with other people. And then only after that are you able to enter into the specialty and become the doctor that you want to be. That's how extensive the process is. And I think fellowship, training to be a doctor, is a lot like living life as a disciple and how Jesus intends us to follow after him. Study his moves, his habits, his whereabouts, where he decides to pull away. It's all in his word, where he wants us to follow him. And from our passage today, we see Jesus address the topic of life as a disciple. And he asked this question. Notice how he asked this question to his followers when he pulls them away. He asks, who do the crowd say that I am? After he's pulled them away from this miracle and from all the excitement, he goes, hey, who do these guys say that I am? Which is probably an easier question to answer than the next one that he asked. He jumps over and asks, who do you say that I am? And Peter, within this moment, just confidently blurts out, you're God's Messiah. Like, you're the guy. We've seen it. We've seen what you can do. And see, Jesus asked this question, wanting them to come to the conclusion of the person that they're following. Then he points himself, this title, this messianic title of son of man, wanting the disciples to come to terms with who they've given up their comfortability for. And the same question gets asked to us today as it did for the disciples. And it's this, who do you say the son of man is? Who do you say the son of man is? One of the most important questions we can ask of ourselves. Jesus asked them this question because he's after their heart and the conviction of who they believe him to be. Because this lifestyle that he asked them to live, as well as us, requires complete trust under the understanding of who he is. He's going to lead us into some uncomfortable places and situations that we would not normally go on on our own. Because we acknowledge him as son of man, we can trust him, just like we trust a doctor who claims to be a doctor. See, who we say the Son of Man to be will dictate the decisions that we make in our lives. Our understanding of him will dictate the decisions that come from our lives. What we do, what environments we decide to enter into, how we communicate with people. Just like knowing who our doctor is makes all the difference in the world if we're going into surgery or not, who we acknowledge that Jesus is and who we believe him to be will dictate the response of our lives. We can either trust him or not. The two decisions here, and in order to live life as a disciple, 
It requires us to first believe in who he says that he is, not in who we think that he is. This is the first step in this, this journey as a disciple. We have to first see Jesus as the Son of Man, which wasn't just him saying that he's somebody's son, but we see in Daniel chapter 7. Who remembers reading about Daniel in our F260 reading plan? We read that a couple of months ago. We looked at this guy, this character named Daniel, who was a real person. He lived life as a disciple, trusting in God. And trusting in God allowed him to be in uncomfortable situations, like him being a disciple led him to being thrown into a lion's den because of his understanding of who God was, and he trusted him in that, and he was saved from this, but Daniel also received some visions from God. And in this particular vision within Daniel chapter seven, we see this glimpse, this picture of God the Father, he calls him the Ancient of Days, being worshiped by these angels, and then we see someone else enter the scene who he calls a son of man. Let's look at him, verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And so now, he's, now it's like, okay, now we understand who he's recalling himself to be. Like, this is the title that he's appointing himself, this messianic title, someone that was prophesied about, the son of man, someone who has a power and authority and dominion over everyone and everything. And this is the one who's calling them and calling us to be a disciple. And if you haven't been in church, this, this word disciple simply means apprentice or follower, or fellowship even. I don't really like to use the term follower because we can follow people on a lot of different platforms on Facebook or social media or whatever that we don't actually know. Like, that's the thing. Like, I can follow LeBron James on Instagram, but that doesn't mean I'm going around following LeBron James. Not stalking LeBron James, studying his every move, but in this instance right here, Jesus in the word disciple meant he would follow the person in which he called a rabbi. Just like we see a fellowship with a person that's wanting to become a doctor, they studied and they learned from them every day about what their habits were. And so a rabbi, a religious leader, would choose people to follow them. And while they were doing that, they would take them into environments in which they were uncomfortable, where they would try to impart all of their knowledge and wisdom onto these disciples that would follow them. And in the same way, the disciples would try to glean after this rabbi, trying to understand what it is that they do, how they study, how they pray, how they communicate with people, and they would follow really closely every single day, trying to understand why the rabbi did what he did. And see, being a disciple is a daily decision to intentionally learn and follow Jesus. And I know that might seem simple enough, um, but sometimes we just have to remind ourselves that being a disciple is not a one-time deal. Like, but it's daily. It's intentionality. It's something that we have to try to do. Something that we wake up in the morning with a conscious decision of, hey, I'm going to study and follow and imitate Jesus today. Better today than I did yesterday. In the same way, the followers of Jesus knew what they were getting themselves into. That Jesus would call them close enough to where the dust that he kicked off off the back of his feet would cover them. That the fact that his environment would be their environment. His scars would be their scars because they're right there next to him. 
where they would try and take on his characteristics and transform into his likeness. And this was the call that the disciples had received to be faithful to a longevity of learning and imitating. Now they're starting, after this miracle, after this thing had happened, they're starting to unveil who he really is. The fact that he is going to establish his kingdom, but the disciples understood this in a different way, thinking that they're going to establish an earthly kingdom where they're going to receive power and glory alongside Jesus. But Jesus' mission was not one of that. Jesus' mission was to go to the cross. But first, it was to take up some followers to show them how to live life like him and how to spread this message of hope and glory to the world, that they can have an eternity with God forever. And their mission was to do just that, while Jesus went to the cross to die, to be buried, and to raise again, to establish a heavenly kingdom instead. In this moment, he teaches his close followers what it means to be true disciples. It says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. He breaks it up into three different parts here. He goes, self-denial, taking up our cross, and following him. Let's say that out loud together. The first one, self-denial, taking up our cross, and following him. Three parts, very hard to do on our own. We can't accomplish these things on our own, but it's only through the Holy Spirit in which we believe and trust in Jesus. Now we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit who acts as a guide for us to be able to accomplish these through his power, not our own. This is how he wants us to live. That's why when we don't know who Jesus is, when we don't have this Holy Spirit, it's impossible to be a disciple. And the first part that you have to ask yourself is, do I acknowledge Jesus as who he says he is? And the next part from that, is now, how do I live as a disciple of him? And here's what it is. Self-denial, this first part, the original language here says self-denial is disregarding one's own interests. Now, it doesn't start off easy. It's actually pretty costly to think about it, to deny what it is that you want to do and your ambitions and what you want within this life. But he tells us to disregard that actually to die to these things and what we feel to deny ourselves because he knows better for our life than we know for our life. And that's the truth. He tells us to put down all all pride, greed, and all personal strife, denying ourselves, putting it down in order to take up the traits of Jesus. For the disciples, it meant denying their old ways of life that made them comfortable, which they were fishermen. They had to deny this way of living in order to follow him. Dying through the old ways of life and their comfort as they knew and what made sense along with their ambitions in Jesus in the same way as we see within the Garden of Gethsemane when he's on his face praying to God, hey God, I, I know I want you to take this cup from me, but Father, your will be done, not my own. Jesus denying himself and his ambitions of what he wanted to do in order to be able to follow God. In the same way, that's what we do. Self-denial means this, to die to ourselves, to deny our ambitions that are for personal gain. Whether that's trying to move up the ranks at work, try to get more money or status. It could be putting down a relationship that's not good for you, that's not life-giving. It could mean dying to self by putting down pride and selfish ambition, putting down anger and jealousy of others within our friend groups, within our family. Could mean dying to your allegiance to pornography and desires that are against God because of our allegiance to God. It could simply mean just stop hitting snooze so many times when we wake up in the morning because that's our only time to spend with God. Like I know that's the reality for some of us. We stay up too late and then we forget that the morning time is our only time to spend intentional time with God. Sometimes that happens to me. 
But for me, there's been several other moments where I've had to die, deny myself of what I want to do. Specifically, um, there was a relationship that I had had where the other side wanted nothing to do with God. They didn't. They didn't want to pursue Jesus and what they wanted for their lives. And instead of saying, hey, I'm going to keep this going, I'm going to die to myself instead. Recognizing that in order to live life as a disciple, it requires me to be uncomfortable, to deny what I feel and what I want in order to pick up what God wants for me in my life, that he doesn't want roadblocks or hindrances for his mission of my life. God wants to lead me, for me to die to myself, shedding off these hindrances and roadblocks so that I can join him in the situations and places that he wants me in. Next, he talks about taking up a cross. And for, for Jesus and his disciples, the disciples would have had no clue what he was talking about within this. Because he's, they're thinking that he's about to establish this earthly kingdom. And so why are we talking about taking up our crosses? But taking up our crosses simply means picking up Christ's desires for us. And the disciples knew of the cross as an instrument of death, kind of like the electric chair that we have today. Saw it as a symbol of death, something that was intimidated, that needed to be avoided at all costs. For Jesus to say this, he was leading his disciples somewhere where they did not want to go on their own. All of them left their jobs and the comfort of their normal lives. Some of them would literally have to pick up their own crosses to their place of death, picking up God's desires for them in our life instead of letting us determine what is good and necessary. And all throughout high school, I struggled with a lot of angst and anger. Um, I don't know if you guys have teenagers, but when I was in high school, this was the reality. You would call um, me what you would say emotionally unavailable um, or that kind of thing where um, I would bottle up emotions. And I know us guys get that because for us guys, we've got to be strong, we've got to be tough. We cannot show emotion in this way unless it comes out in anger or rage. Like that's the thing for us guys. But that was the reality. And it caused me for me to just hit my limits sometimes when people would tick me off or just little things that would build up in my life that I would just be struggling with. And sometimes that would cause me to lash out on some people, say some not so nice things, some things that probably shouldn't be repeated in here. And it caused me for one time within my D group, which is a discipleship group, a group of followers that intentionally tries to give each other accountability and to follow Jesus better. And within my D group, I had a friend bring it up. We walked into the room where we were meeting and he, and he told the leader, hey, you would not believe what Jake did today. After an instance of school, I'm like, oh my gosh, dude, are you serious right now? This is what we're going to. And so I just decided to hide. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so ashamed of what I just did. This has happened several times up to this point. I just feel guilt and shame and all these things. I'm like, man, yes, I did these things. But that part was the first part of self-denial, recognizing that I had sin in my life. Not denying how I felt, but why I felt that way. The fact that I didn't view the other person as made in the image of God. That I was thinking of them lesser than me because I'm so righteous, but in reality, that's not the truth. That everybody's been made in the image of God. And our crosses can all look different. Jesus compares our crosses to dying and denying ourselves and our ambitions to take up obedience and faithfulness in its place. That we put down what we want in order to take up what he wants. Mimicking Jesus and taking on his characteristics. And for his disciples, this process can be obedience, can be painful. Instead of being angry at someone who's hurt us, we die to ourselves, shed off this anger in order to take up forgiveness. Instead of being envious or jealous, we die to ourselves and take up contentment with what we have. Instead of being lustful, we die to self and walk in purity. What about being prideful or boastful? We put that down in order to take up humility. 
man, instead of being lazy, or spiritually lazy, would put it down in order to take up discipline. Do you kind of get the point? We as a community get caught up in a place of feelings, letting how we feel in a moment or in a season determine if we follow Jesus within that season or not. Like we let our emotions dictate if we're going to pursue Jesus within that moment, within that month, within our family, and that should not be the case because Jesus said that it would not be comfortable. He never said that. But he said he would actually take us out of our comfort zone. But sometimes we follow comfort and allow our schedules that we've made determine our pursuit of Jesus instead of transforming into Jesus' likeness and allowing him to dictate our schedule and our lives and the decisions that we make. I'm going to jump over one of your points here and go to this next point because I want to make a connection for you guys. See, being a disciple starts by recognizing our sin, denying the root problem, picking up God's character, and following him. Without first recognizing this root problem of our sin, we can easily let it trip us up. So many things that can hinder our ability to pursue him, and God wants to eliminate all of these things within our life, that he wants all of us, and in order to do so, we have to shed off these things that are hindrances or roadblocks in order to pursue his mission for us. Living life as a disciple means that we just gotta stop sometimes and evaluate in order to deny ourselves. In order to recognize the place that we need to deny ourselves in, we need to stop and evaluate our lives. Sometimes we get too busy. Sometimes we end up just going about our days with the feelings that we have and forgetting to evaluate where God is trying to work within our lives. And this is what Hebrews 12, one through three, the author says here. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with the perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured so much opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This process is called transformation. This is the journey that we're on as a life, as a disciple. We're not perfect, but we're being transformed into his likeness, that we would continue to deny and die to ourselves in these things that are hindrances. Just like we see at our baptism, that baptism represents something. The fact that we are literally dying to our old ways of life so that we can now walk in the newness of this new life. The fact that we have been called a new creation when we recognize him as the son of man. Acknowledge him as who he says that he is. For every other thing that hinders, we would deny in order to take up our cross to follow Jesus. And here's the next point. Following him means to faithfully pursue his desires for our lives. For the disciples, this was learning beside him within his ministry. To watch him go to the cross. Afterwards, they would faithfully pursue what Jesus desired them to do, which was this. It was to share this hope that they had. The fact that Jesus has raised from the dead, that they had watched him do this. The fact that he showed them the scars within his hands, within his sides. He says, now, go make disciples. He says, share this hope with the people around you. The fact that people need to know that there is salvation that can be had as a gift from me and the only way to recognize that is through you telling them and being in my likeness to mimic what I've done, to show them that there is a difference, that there can be love and hope and joy, but it's only through what you are going to do from this moment on as a disciple. 
The fact is, this is our mission too, that Jesus didn't want it to just stop there with a few disciples, but he wanted it to spread. Not that they would follow them and the disciples, but they would continue to follow him as our mission is to make disciples of all nations. And if we're not doing this, we're abandoning the command that Jesus explicitly gave us to share this hope. Matthew 28, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded of you. And surely I'm with you always to the very ends of the age. He didn't say stop, just stay where you are. He said go. Practically go and see your neighborhoods, go to your families and your classrooms and your works, your job sites. Like, go and tell people about this hope because if you're not doing that, we're doing something wrong. We're being disobedient to what he commands us to do. The fact that we need to live a life on mission to show others what Jesus has done and what he commands of us. The fact that he is the only one worthy of following, that anything else that hindered their ability to follow him was made insignificant to call of being a disciple. That everything else within this life is made insignificant. If we can get to that point, recognize his authority over our lives and this mission that we have and this hope that we have, then man, everything would make would be made insignificant to this. And today we struggle, wrestle with the call of being a disciple, allowing our sin to overtake parts of our lives, thinking we're being faithful because we show up to church on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning to check off the boxes. Man, Jesus never called us to check off the boxes. Never called us to do it so we can appear faithful within our Christian groups. He's not calling us to form Jesus into our image so that he can agree to our lives and our decisions, but he's calling us to deny our ambitions in every aspect of our life, to take up our cross and to faithfully follow him wherever he leads us. With every decision, we would be more transformed into his likeness rather than continue to look like ourselves, to recognize his authority. And this is what he says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. And what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit their very self? Now, three years ago, four years ago, um, I recognized Jesus as Savior. Like, I understood him in that part, but I didn't recognize him as Lord. I was walking as a disciple for a few years up until that point. I did the groups, I did the studies, I went to church, checked off the boxes. I invited friends to come and experience what I've experienced, the fact that Jesus saves and he is Lord over our life. But man, there was a point where there was a decision to be made. When high school came to a halt, and there was a decision that would make me uncomfortable. The fact that there was two roads that I can go down. I could either pursue my ambitions, or I could walk faithfully, with Jesus and what he was calling me into. And instead of being uncomfortable and following Jesus in his pursuit for my life, I decided to choose a comfortability route. Like I decided to do what I want to do and pursue the Air Force and the jobs and the money and the travel and all the things, and then eventually go into ministry. And this is my, uh, my senior photo. I don't know if you guys were here the last couple of years, but I know I'm handsome, handsome young chap here. But here's the reality. What it says down here, which... I just, it baffles me sometimes, but it says, go into the Air Force and then pursue my call to ministry. Is that faithfulness? No, that's not faithfulness. But man, this guy right here, he was checking off all the boxes. He was doing all the right things on the outside, but on the inside, he was afraid to be uncomfortable because he didn't know where Jesus was going to lead him and he didn't have everything figured out. 
But that's the reality. We don't have to have everything figured out. This life as a disciple is a journey where we would continually experience the environments that he's putting us in. And man, after a couple of times in which God knocked me on my butt, I was about to get shipped off in the Air Force. I was literally like two weeks away. I had been waiting for months. I passed all the tests and all the things. And I was about two weeks out. And God just continued to knock me on my butt time and time again. Through illnesses in the family, through surgeries, through relationship stuff, through a motorcycle accident that I almost died in. Like that was all the things that he just said, hey, Jake, slow down, buddy. You're doing something wrong here. Like evaluate what's happening in your life. Deny yourself. And man, it gave me a chance to where I would just stop and reflect and evaluate the hindrances that I've put up in my life. The fact that I was not being faithful. And at that point, I got to acknowledge him as who he says he is, the son of man, the one who has authority, the one who's called his disciples to a lifetime of service and transformation. The same person who put down his ambitions to literally pick up his own cross to die a brutal death. Like he did that, uncomfortable as he was. But now because of what he did, because of his death, his burial, and his resurrection, we can now trust in him, be baptized, repent of these sins in our life, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit who acts as a guide that he would pick out and point out the place in which we need to deny ourselves every single day to follow Jesus faithfully. See, being a disciple isn't just about acquiring knowledge. But living a life of faithfulness, showing and telling others about who Jesus is. Man, we can go in all the groups, do all the studies, come to all the church events. But that's not being a disciple. It's not just about acquiring knowledge, but it's about imitation. It's about transforming ourselves into his likeness. It's about sharing this hope and making disciples, denying ourselves in order to better follow him every day. Jesus it wasn't just someone who was prophesied from the Old Testament, who has dominion from afar, who's just sitting up at the right hand of the throne of God. But man, he is someone that is coming back. Someone that is waiting to return for his people, like he tells us he is. And our goal up to this point and right now within our lives is to live faithfully with the life that we have been entrusted to, to love and to share this hope of a future with God for eternity that we would share this to the world around us, to our people that we find ourselves in contact with, where God will look at our lives and the way that we lived and say this, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And our goal is living a life as a disciple is to be transformed into his likeness of Christ, not for our sake, but for the sake of the people around us because there are people who are dying and who are dead already. There are people that need to know who Jesus is because without him, they have no eternity with him. Like, this is the truth. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of the gravity of this because God does not call us to be comfortable. He calls us to be uncomfortable in every single situation that we find ourselves in. That we would deny what we feel and what we want to trust in him with our lives. Man, sometimes we forget that. Have to recognize his authority over our lives, that he is the son of man. He is one that has dominion and authority over our lives already. And the faster that we recognize this, the faster that we can go and pursue this mission that he's called us into. Because God wants to save as many people as possible. And if we continue to think of Jesus differently than who he says that he is, we will quickly forget his place of authority over our lives. That he is the one in control. And if you have not acknowledged Jesus as son of man, 
you have not acknowledged him as the one having authority over your life, the one that has died, been raised back to life, taking on sin, then this is a chance for you to do that. To recognize him as such, acknowledge him as who he says that he is. To reflect within the sin in your life and decide to trust the only one that has power to redeem your life. That you would live from this moment on pursuing him and his people. So here right now, I just want us to remain seated and pray to reflect and to pray that God would encourage us within this life as a disciple, because it's not easy. For him to be able to point out some of the places in which we need to deny ourselves, where we need to take up our crosses and to follow him better. Lord, we're grateful. We're grateful for your presence. We're grateful for the way in which you call us and equip us to go into situations and places in which we are not comfortable to do on our own. God, I pray that there are people in this room that do not know who you are, Lord, that they would seek you out, God, that you would open hearts and eyes and lives to the reality that you are the Son of Man, the one who has authority and dominion over everyone and everything. God, I pray that you would encourage us to follow you better, even to our death, Lord, that we would follow you, that you would point out the places where we did deny ourselves where we need to take up our crosses to follow you faithfully into a longevity of learning and imitating who you are. Lord, we're grateful for your presence. Lord, we're grateful for your sacrifice, which enables us to do so. Lord, it's in your son's name that we pray.